It is really fun uh, to be here with all of you on this Labor Day weekend, and we have our young people and uh, children with us here in the service. I want to say, make one note about uh, one of the announcements that was given this morning in regards to Chick, Covenant High in Christ. I've had the opportunity to go to the last two of them with our young people and with our leaders. It's a triennial event. And it is another one of those uh, things with young people. I mean, to me, there are just two really, really uh, powerful uh, events in the life of our teenagers. And one is high impact, that transition between eighth grade and ninth grade. And the other is check. It is just an extraordinary opportunity. And uh, we would invite you to uh, pray uh, about uh, that uh, for those of you that are young people and for those of you who are parents. Uh, to be able to plan around that if it's at all possible for you to be able to do it. And uh, we realize it's a fairly daunting amount of money and uh, we want to be able to assist um, with that because it is a value to us uh, to see that our young people are able to go to that too. So would you pray with me as we look at God's word this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, scripture. We thank you that you are God who speaks and that you do it in so many ways, but primarily through your word. And we would pray this morning that as we look at this passage in Luke 4, 19, uh, that we, you would use it to, to benefit us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Uh, that's the way the song goes, and it's true in the text. Uh, but this is not a wee little story. Uh, in fact, uh, this is a really remarkable story. There are a couple of reasons why this matters so much. One is... Uh, a number of uh, scholars have said that this story, and we just read it earlier, contains the most significant sentence in all of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so we're going to find it this morning before you get out of here. Are there any second graders here this morning? Can you just raise your hands really high if you're in second grade? Our second graders got their Bibles. There's one over there. Got their Bibles last year as first graders. And if there are any first graders in the room... You, you, you just wait. You just wait a couple of weeks because in Sunday school, actually right up here, and you can come up with your parents afterwards and practice if you want to, but we're going to give you a Bible. Uh, and, uh, and you'll notice in that Bible this morning that that sentence is there. And uh, this is what we encourage your moms and dads to do, actually, to take their Bibles and write in them. Can you believe that? You don't get to do that at school, uh, but you get to do it with your Bibles. Because there are really important things in there, important to you and things that God's going to talk to you about and things you'll learn. And so there are some things to underline, and I would actually encourage you to underline the sentence that we talk about in just a little bit, because it's the most important, consider the most important sent sentence in the, in the Gospel of Luke together. And let me just give you one other bit of feedback. Um, once in a while, ask if you can borrow your mom's and dad's Bibles and just look in it. Because it's going to tell you something about your moms and dads, too. The things that God said to them and the things that they've learned along the way, too. It's just the way, it's just a wonderful book that God uses uh, to teach us some things that matter. So that's one of the reasons why this is a really great story we're talking about this morning. But there's a second reason why this is such a great story. And it's because in, in this story, it's one of those places in the Bible where we see the whole of the gospel, all of it. And there are different dimensions of the gospel we see in different stories and different parts of the Bible that we read. But this has got every piece of it. When we talk about the gospel, the gospel is really just a complicated word for 
good news, the good news, uh, the news that matters the most, actually, in our life. And there are four pieces of it. The first part of the gospel uh, it reminds us of creation. We know this, that God is good and he is beautiful. That's the first thing God wants us to know. He is good and he is beautiful. And he makes beautiful things. And he makes people as well. All of the people. The second part of the gospel has to do with the fall. It is that God tells us graciously, thankfully, God tells us the truth about our brokenness. He wants us to know exactly when there's something that's, just not, that's broken and not working in your life, guess what? God's kind enough to let us know what that is. He tells us the truth about our brokenness. And the third part of the gospel is about what God does to rescue us and that he restores our relationship with him and our relationship with other people improves as a result of that as well. It's about creation, it's about fall, it's about this rescue, this restoration of relationship with the God who made us and with people around us as a result of that. And then the fourth part of the gospel is we use the word call, that God actually invites us on an adventure. I mean, what a cool thing, that God is about adventure and he wants you and me to have one. And so that's what we see here in this story. It's got all four pieces of it. So let's go to this. And uh, we're a family here together. And young people, I appreciate you being here. And I'll just tell you, um, I got seven words today, okay? When I get to my seventh word, I'm pretty much done, all right? Uh, so, so pay attention. You may even want to count the words as they start. And let's take the batch of the three words first of all. And the three words I want to mention are words that often appear in this story. Some of the most repeated pieces of this story. So I'd just be interested in uh, what, you, what you see a lot of as far as words. And so does anybody want to tell me one of the words they think might be repeated a lot here? Anybody? I, I won't bite you. What's a word you hear a lot? What's that? Uh, yeah, Jesus. Nobody wanted to say that because that's the word everybody says, right? I mean, you know what I learned in Sunday school class when I was pulling the girl's hair next to me? And uh, the teacher said, Mark, what's the answer? I just knew that if I said Jesus, I was probably pretty good chance I would be okay. <laughs> and this morning, the same thing is true here. If you say Jesus, you're, you got it, actually, because Jesus is repeated over and over in this. There, there are two other words, and you know what they are? One of them is people you know and there are a bunch of people it might not be the word people but crowd and Zacchaeus this story is filled with people so that's the second word Jesus and people and the third word we see and it's just really amazing how oftentimes we hear it it's the word see I mean look at it it says uh, verse 3 he wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short he could not see over the crowd so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig to see him since Jesus was coming that way and when Jesus reached the spot he, he looked he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus and the people it says they they saw all of this that was happening and Zacchaeus stood up and and said to the Lord look look see you know, essentially and then Jesus says at the very beginning in verse 10 the son of man came to see or to seek you see, it's all over the story. And so those are our, our three words. It's this, people, 
seeking Jesus. That's what the story is about. People seeking Jesus. And then you glance back and you realize what's really cool about this is that the story before this, what's, it about, what's the story before this? Did you notice it? It's about a blind man who receives sight. Isn't the Bible cool? I mean, you actually link in one story together after another. And in the story just before this, a blind man is able to see. And in this story, we see a whole bunch of people that really can't see at all. They can't see at all what Jesus is doing. They're so upset with what he's doing. Anything they can see, they don't like because they can't see what really matters. And, and, we, and we see this happening here. The people in Luke, 9, in Luke 18, they rejoice when they see the blind man can see. In Luke 19, they grumble when they see what Jesus does with this person. And in fact, in this whole story, we see an escalation of unhappy people. We see an escalation, an increase in people that are actually blind. In Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees and the teachers, they're grumbling about what Jesus does. By the time we get to Luke 19, the whole crowd of all the people are grumbling about what Jesus does. They are really upset that Jesus is paying attention to Zacchaeus because of who he was. But he was the one who still seeks. In this story, people seeking Jesus, Zacchaeus is the one who is, seeking Zac uh, who is seeking Jesus. Short, Zacchaeus went undeterred. He knew he was going to see Jesus, and he was going to do it any which way he could, and he, was, uh, he didn't have the height of everybody else in the crowd, so he was pretty industrious as well, too, and he decides, I'm going to climb that tree. I know Jesus is coming this way. I know no one will get in the way if I'm up in the tree and I could watch him. Now, this is a surprise to people around there because if they were going to count the number of people, the type of people that would want to see Jesus, Zacchaeus wouldn't be on the list. I mean, he, he didn't need to see Jesus for any needs. I mean, he had tons of money. What, what would he need? He was the chief tax collector. This is a step above Matthew, actually, above Levi. He was just simply a tax collector. This was a chief tax collector. And he was a chief tax collector in a city where the commerce was really high. If you want a great place to be a chief tax collector, it's here. Because there's all sorts of money changing hands here. And the Roman system for tax collecting went something like this. The Romans would say, well... We need about X amount of money from this crowd of people. And then the tax collector would go out and get the money that Rome wanted or expected. And then they would get whatever they wanted for themselves as well. You know, and, and everybody was stuck with it. Whatever Zacchaeus and his mob would ask for, they would get. And uh, it, it was just, it felt a lot like extortion really. And Rome didn't care. In fact, they gave him the authority to get what he wanted to take. And so here you have this Zacchaeus who's really, really well off. He's got a lot of money because nobody else has any money anymore. That's why they're so upset. But there's the other piece about him is Zacchaeus. If you were going to predict someone who had a heart to seek Jesus, would you ever guess it would be somebody like that? I mean, Zacchaeus is one of these guys, and you would say, well... He's obviously not interested in anything spiritual. And yet here we see him, this, this guy undeterred. 
because he was seeking Jesus. This is what we need to know. All around us, there are people seeking Jesus. We might not even know that they're seeking Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought of this? That there are actually people in your classroom at school that are seeking Jesus, and there are people like Zacchaeus that you would never guess they were? Did you know that in your place of business, there are people around you that are no doubt seeking Jesus, and they may not be the ones you actually even think are? They're all over the place. In your neighborhood, there are people that are seeking Jesus, and it doesn't even look like it. It might just surprise us who those are that are seeking Jesus. I mean, we've used, we know the statistic in Overland Park, Kansas, that four out of five people, four out of five people have yet to realize the value of a relationship with Jesus Christ lived out in the context of Christian community. It's actually about 18 to 19 percent of the people in Johnson County go to a church like this and like many like this um, around this city. 18 percent. The other four out of five, well, some of those are seeking Jesus. And like Zacchaeus, they'll climb trees. They'll do whatever it takes. If they can somehow figure out a way to find a way, to find, they're all around us and the people we don't even expect. Okay, now I want to get to the next three words. I said there would be seven, right? These are the next three words. Jesus seeking people. Gotcha. We're still only at three words, right? I still got four words left before we're done with this sermon because I'm using them again, all right? This is Jesus seeking people. You look past the crowd seeking to satisfy their curiosity. Jesus looked past the crowd seeking to satisfy curiosity, and he picked out Zacchaeus. Jesus is seeking people, and he is all over this. He sees the person that he knows is seeking him, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house, and and we're we're going to have a meal together. And you're looking at this story and you say, well, Zacchaeus is really pursuing Jesus. Guess what? Jesus is pursuing Zacchaeus even more. Even more. In fact, we read in verse 10 the explanation for this, where we read these words. For the Son of Man, that's another word or title for Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the sentence considered by scholars to be the most important sentence in the Gospel of Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so now we add word number four, save or saving. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save, to save people. Another word we use is the word rescue. But notice the word we don't use. Jesus didn't come primarily to educate people. And I think he can put put in that category, what a great teacher he was. But that's not why he came. He didn't come to educate people, nor did Jesus come to inspire people. And that's a word we use too, right? What an inspiration the life of Jesus is. Guess what? He didn't come for that. He came to save people. Nor did he come to befriend people. Say, oh, Jesus is just a wonderful friend to me in times of trouble. Guess what? He is a great teacher. 
He is an inspiration, and he is a friend to sinners. But do you know why he came? He came to save people. Do you know what that means? He means that he wants to transform our lives in such a way that we will be what we were intended to be in the first place. To accept him as our Lord and Savior and follow him with our life. An opportunity to be able to talk to a young man this past week. And it was just one of those fun conversations. And he was describing to me this pull he has towards faith and towards Christ. And he used the word to accept Christ. And I said, you know, what, what does that word mean to you? Uh, and he said, well, it means just to embrace the life that God has given me. And to... Uh, 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 to be thankful for it and to, and to live surrendered. And all of those things were true. But you know what I was thinking as he was saying this? I was thinking, and I finally said, guess what? It is even better than that. It is even better than that. He comes into our life to wash away the guilt because he washes away the sin. To take a residence in our lives and to be our power and our strength and to be a a voice and to be the core of engaged in the core of who we are we have this treasure it says in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and he wants to introduce himself to the world as a God of power and grace and love through lives that are transformed by him that's what he wants to do he wants to rescue us Jesus is seeking people even more intently than they're seeking him. Okay, next three words. You know we're getting to the end. We've had how many words so far? Four words so far. The next three words are Jesus people seeking. Uh, I haven't wasted any yet, have I? I still, I still got three left, right? I still got three left. Jesus people are seeking and this is where we get to the gospel where we talk about the call we are jesus people there are actually places where they actually use that as a description christians simply meant when it was first used little christs and so we can call ourselves jesus people and and jesus invites jesus people to be seeking people you see this is our calling we pray the prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray it not simply so all, every, all of you over there will engage in that, uh, but that we will. Uh, we ask God's kingdom to come, and we know that when we're asking for it, we know he will do it through us. This is, this, uh, this is us offering ourselves with his empowerment to his mission to bring his kingdom to the world. So the question is this, where do we find Jesus when he's seeking people what does it look like when Jesus seeks people because if we're Jesus people we should seek like he did in this story he's around a table eating with them that's where he is he's engaged in table fellowship now this is something that is just so cool we think okay we should have dinner parties but table fellowship in that culture was so much different than that. You go to a dinner party and you have a group of disparate people that may have different convictions or perspectives on all kinds of things. And everybody knows. Not everybody agrees with each other. They're just hanging out to each other. That's kind of nice that they do it. 
You know what table fellowship was like in that culture? When you walk in and have a meal with somebody like Zacchaeus, anybody who's engaged in table fellowship there is essentially saying, and I agree with everything this person is. It is a statement of identification, of connection with them. So we may have this concern, well, if I hang out with people that aren't following Jesus and they're doing things that Jesus wouldn't like, what will people think if I go in there? They might possibly think that I agree with them. Well, guess what? When Jesus walks in there, he didn't even ask the question because he knew. He knew that when he walked in and had dinner, everybody in the community would believe that Jesus embraced everything about who Zacchaeus was. It's not even a question. He does table fellowship, and he is making a statement in that culture, I am all in on everything about Zacchaeus in his life. That's the room he walks into. Theologians have said this, the only way he could have been engaged in anything more egregious than that would have actually been to go out with Zacchaeus and engage with him in tax collecting or extortion or whatever you think. You see, so there's not even a question of whether it was on the line. Jesus walks into that room, and everybody around him is going to think Jesus agrees with everything that's true of that person. And he was okay with it. And everybody around looks at him and scorns him and despises him because of what he just did. And then you know what happens? Out of the darkness walks a man who says, from this point forward, my life will be forever different. My life has completely changed because Jesus was willing to walk into a place where everybody thought that he aligned himself with everything about that person. You know, we use a phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, And it's a good thing to remind ourselves of. Because God is calling us as Jesus people seeking people to walk into, to live in those places because we know the same thing Jesus does. When Jesus walks into those places and we act, speak, uh, behave like Jesus would, Lives are transformed, even when everybody else scrutinizes us in ways that we might never have wanted them. The surprise here is Zacchaeus has changed, and we see breathtaking results. Jesus' people seeking people that are seeking Jesus. And so you say, okay, Mark, how do I know if they're seeking Jesus? How do I find out whether they are or not? Do you know how we find out? Well, we eat and we drink with them. That's the way we do it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, Jesus is described this way. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and many thought him to be a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, But the last phrase in that verse is this, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. 
And Jesus wisely walks into this room, eating and drinking with Zacchaeus. And what emerges is a person who is saved, not just Zacchaeus, but so many more, as he disperses four times the amount that he extorted from them, well beyond anything that the Old Testament laws mandated. And we can say, salvation has come to this house today and to those around him. So we get to the last three words, and I didn't know whether I should count and or not, but I figured someone would argue with me if I didn't. Eating and drinking, friends. That's what God calls us to. Eating and drinking in relationship with people. Jesus came to us declaring the gospel and eating and drinking. And we, I think, need to cultivate again the art of eating and drinking and the boldness there's a part of it. So what does that mean as far as application? Let me just give you a couple options. One is, here at Hillcrest, when you see somebody that you don't know that's a part of this church and they've just walked in the door and been here maybe a week or two, go out and take them out for lunch. Or write their name down and get a phone number and spend dinner with them. And, 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 and who knows, they may be seeking Jesus or they may have found Jesus long ago. In any way, it's a win. Because it's a great way to connect with people who 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 following Jesus as well, and it's a great way to connect with people that are at least curious enough that they've walked in the door. Let's be people that host meals for people and behave, act like Jesus has here. Uh, Alpha is one of those ways to eat and drink, and you don't even have to provide the meal. On Monday nights coming up, uh, to, to go to Alpha, it is just a wonderful way. Invite a friend. Go yourself if this is brand new to you or the church is brand new to you. And guess what we do? We start with a meal because we want to be about eating and drinking. Come to an annual meeting. Guess what? We have dessert first. It's just the way we want to do things and do things. So tomorrow is Labor Day. I don't know what your plans are, but what if you invited somebody else to be a part of what you're doing? I mean, what if you do that? What if there's somebody that's invited you to a party and you just weren't sure whether you were going to go or not? What if you actually spent some time tomorrow doing something that is congruent with what, the way Jesus spent his time along the way? A friend of mine in a church in uh, Tacoma, Washington, and one of their goals is this. They said, as a congregation, this is what we encourage our people to do. Go out and have parties. This was a party. Go out and have a party. Bring the best food or beverage and take a towel along with you so that in any way you might have to clean up after other people who are at the party, you're there to serve them as well. This is the way Jesus wants us to live. Go have parties, you guys. Bring the best stuff with you and be prepared to serve in the middle of those that are there. And we will be able to say more and more, salvation has come to these houses, to this city, to our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for this great story. We pray, Lord, that you would just prod us in the ways you intend to have us be provoked so that we might characterize you in this simple and powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.